welcome to the Digital Broker Podcast with me, Ryan Deeds, where we help agents and brokers drive profitability through operational excellence. Welcome to the Digital Broker Podcast. I'm Ryan Deeds, the host. This is a podcast dedicated to helping insurance agencies get operationally efficient by leveraging their human capital the most effectively, which really means making your employees happy by getting rid of the crappy stuff to do. I'm lucky as heck today. I, I've got Ron Glozman from Chisel AI. He's been on the podcast before with us. And today, I, I, I thought he would help us distill down the long-term ramifications of artificial intelligence and machine learning and help debunk some of the, some of the fear about it and help agency principals, owners, uh, employees understand how this is going to come into the spaces, where he sees the larger organizations using it today, and what's that long-term kind of look like. So, Ron, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Ryan. Excited to be back. Yeah, man, absolutely, dude. So, you know, I, I think that AI gets scary, right? I mean, people people get freaked out by AI. It's going to steal all the jobs. It's going to it's going to take over the world. You know, they've watched Terminator fifty times, and Skynet is a, the thing. And so, can you help at least from from the onset explain? AI as you see it and you understand it, what machine learning is, and some on a highest level, I mean, you're a really smart cat. And so I need you to kind of put your, your higher strategic level on with this so we don't get too in the weeds with it. But how would you explain those, those things to folks that are listening that have a very, very rudimentary understanding of it? Yeah, so when it comes to artificial intelligence, um, AI has actually been around since, you know, the 70s and 80s. Um, and there have been many advancements in the field. And I think a lot of people are starting to talk about it recently, but it's a rather old field. And the way it's broken down at the highest level is there are seven types of artificial intelligence. So the first type is machine learning. Uh, typically, machine learning is an academic pursuit. It's the purest form of artificial intelligence. And everything is basically built on it and leveraged. It. Next comes natural language processing, uh, NLP for short. That's the way that we can teach a computer to read and understand text just like a human. Then comes expert systems, and expert systems is probably one of the longest running types of AI. And expert systems are basically long decision trees. So if this happens, and this happens, and this happens, do this. And so many systems that um, are probably just as good, if not better than human. Um, and they're considered artificial intelligence. They're expert systems, but they don't use machine learning and they can still accomplish the same goal. And that is actually one of the most common types of AI systems that you will see out in the market. Next comes machine vision. Uh, machine vision is the ability for a machine to read and do things like image recognition. So, you know, identify all the cars uh, that are in this picture. A lot of people are familiar with this technology through, you know, the iCloud and Google Photos. It can automatically tag locations and find faces for you. Uh, next comes speech. Speech is, is typically two types, speech to text and text to speech. So the ability for a human to understand, sorry, the ability for a machine to understand human speech and convert that into text. And then the inverse, take text, and generate a human-ish sounding voice. 
Next comes planning systems, a lot of logistic systems, uh, just-in-time delivery systems like what's popular in auto manufacturing. And finally comes robotics. Robotics is basically what people think of as the Terminator, which is the humanoid-like machines that create uh, physical you know, embodiments in this world. Um, now, the other way to look at AI is sort of general AI versus specific AI. Mm -hmm. uh, to your earlier question sort of about the Terminator, uh, that falls into the general AI category. So in that case, it would need to have both robotics, speech, vision, NLP, and machine learning all in one. And we're quite far away from that. Um, there's almost no, as far as I am aware, and I'm not an expert, there are no production general AI systems out there aside from things like Watson. Um, and as you know, Watson is not a robot uh, in the sense that it's a humanoid, but really it's just a supercomputer. There are many, many, many specific AIs out there that are very good at doing specific things. You know, one of my favorite examples of AI is simply systems that do planning like Amazon, you know, others like you buy this. And so everybody's familiar with that type. It's very good at identifying things that you want to buy and in no way, shape or form is it going to become the Terminator. But like, I mean, absolutely. Cause I, I think that as an organization looks at artificial intelligence, being able to determine what the specific goal of that artificial intelligence is, is critical, right? Taking that out of that esoteric general AI, because I, I like you, I mean, I, I haven't, I, they say that we're years away from having true general artificial intelligence. And for me, the, the most life impacting, I think, is, where you see these radiologists, right, that are leveraging AI to be able to determine lung cancer cells more effectively than a human looking at a looking at a um, X-ray, right? They, they're able to help that radiologist identify at a much higher percentage than on their own. But if I tried to get that thing to make me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, it would be totally lost, right? Because it's so specific to looking at x-rays and trying to find things in the x-ray that, that may indicate cancer. That's right. And so I wasn't sure if you're talking about medical x-rays. I know they're also starting to get used by like TSA to yeah, read for, and for, scan bags. Right, absolutely. To make that process faster. And so I think, you know, as you're an agency, if you have specific problems that, that are very tightly defined, there's probably something out there. It may not be great, but there may be something out there that you can start to leverage that helps that. And I mean, you and I've talked about it before. I think we talk about it all the time. I mean, walk me through scalability as you see it and the advantage of leveraging AI and its, and its power over time compared to if I'm a shop that says, I'm not using technology, I'm just going to staff for it. You know, can, can you help me yep. understand that? Yeah, so I think there's two things to be cognizant of. And, and the first one, I'll just preface it by saying that um, it's not a linear scale. So you would think, for example, that if you give a machine, you know, a thousand examples of, let's say, a good policy and a bad policy, if we're talking about policy check and E&O mitigation, and if you give it 10,000 examples, it would be 10 times better. Um, unfortunately, that's not true. It's, uh, it follows the typical, you know, um, law of diminishing returns. And so it quickly learns, you know, in our experience, given a thousand examples, you might be able to get something up to like 95% accuracy. 
but then the next 9,000, so between 1,000 to 10,000, you're only adding 1% in accuracy. So you go from 95 to 96. You add another zero, so now you're at 100,000, you're at 97% accuracy. Mm. Add another zero, you're at a 98. And so it's, it's more like a logarithmic uh, return. It's not linear, but it is by far a lot more um, sort of computationally possible than a human. So, you know, if a human in their whole lifetime, you know, in our work with customers, for example, the average policy checker might be able to check 2000 uh, policies a year. And let's say in a full career, that's 25 years, that's 50,000 documents. Our machine has seen over half a million at this point. And so the scale at which we're able to train it is unfathomable for a normal human. We're talking hundreds of years worth of training. Um, and so that's where the scale comes in. But you do need to remember that it's not linear. So at some point you will hit a sort of asymptote, for lack of a better word, where adding any additional information will not get you that much further. And I don't think AI will ever get to you know, 100% accuracy. Um, and this is actually one of my favorite debates, and I personally still don't have a strong feeling. It's, it's this question about um, self-driving cars, which is we know there are going to be accidents. And, you know, unfortunately, there have already been several accidents, as we know, with, with Uber. But the fact that the machine is more accurate and able to respond faster than a human, I believe, trumps the fact that there will still be accidents when it, when it comes to AI, because you cannot expect it to be held to a higher standard than a human, in my opinion. Oh, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, to be honest, like the, the Luddites really hold us back there, right? Because if we think about it, how many accidents occurred because of human error in that period of time? And that's never talked about. That semi-trailer in Denver that ran into like 15 cars and killed 20 people, not one, not one article that I see say, if this was AI powered, this wouldn't have occurred. Right. And it wasn't, hey, we're going to pull all the all the problems. Of, you know, we're not going to let humans drive anymore. And so I think that as as we become more comfortable with accidents and errors that machines do have will offset. I mean, if we had dry, I would way rather my 16 year old or 17 year old now be in a freaking AI powered car than her driving. Right. She's driving, sipping on Starbucks, texting trying to stay on the road, you know, I, I would feel so much more comfortable if I could say, hey, you just, you just tell it where to go and it's going to take you there, you know? And so, and I think, again, I think you lose some of the emotional impact when you, when you use that in, in policy checking. So a policy checker can do 50,000 in a career. I pivot that to the radiologist. So I've got a radiologist down the street that's going to check me for cancer, or I've got a that that doesn't use AI. This guy's maybe seen fifty thousand X-rays his whole life. He's seventy-two. You know, he's a really good radiologist. But I've got a thirty-four-year-old on the other side of the street that's leveraging every radi every X-ray that he's ever had in history to be able to determine what my problem is. Which one of those do you want to go to? You know, uh, which one of those folks are you going to have more faith in? It, it, to me, it takes a certain kind of individual to say, well, I'm going to Bob with no AI because I trust his individual knowledge over the collective experience that artificial intelligence brings to me. And, and so when I, when I try to talk about the application of it, I always try to bring it back to something that we're, we, we all may experience. You know, we all may experience cancer at some point in time. And when you make that choice on who to go to, 
I, I'm, I bet money that most of us are going to say, oh, there's an AI option for this that you're not leveraging. I'm going to switch doctors and go to the one that is. I love that. I'm trying to remember. Um, I read an article because oftentimes, especially with some of these machine learning techniques, such as, you know, reinforcement learning and neural nets, um, you often don't get what we call explainability. And it's one of the biggest downsides of AI is um, because there are so many factors that a machine can look at and the way it works is what a neural network means um, is that there are multiple nets and each one has what they call neurons, sort of like brain neurons. And so let's say there's seven neurons on the first layer and seven on the second layer. It's quickly an exponential problem. That's seven times seven different combinations. And you add a third layer with 100 neurons, and now we're talking about a 4,900 unique combination problem space. And quickly that number becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And so one of the things that you're, you're lacking on is that explainability. And so um, I'd read this interesting article about they were training an AI to identify clowns. And I don't know why they came up with this. Um, and what they ended up defining was that they could – more easily identify what was not a clown than what was a clown. So they gave it two labels. They said human and clown. And so if you fed the machine a picture of a dog, it knew it wasn't a clown, so it said it's a human. Uh, and so yeah. that's one of the ways that AI can go wrong is because you, know, you don't want to be too explicit. You need to teach it to infer. But if you only said there's two things in the universe, clowns and humans, and you showed a picture of a dog, guess what? That dog is now a human. Right. And so... That's awesome. <laughs> There's a big debate about ethics and the way we train AI, because that's where the next sort of ethical boundaries will probably come up. Well, right. And that's what we, I mean, and, and what they, you know, sometimes if, when I get in these conversations, they talk about the bias that AI has, but it's really not the bias that AI has. It's the bias that the data has that we feed and train AI on that's real. Right. I mean, and, and so I think, again, it, it's all about how we, it, it makes the world a little a little more tangible when a machine emulates a, what we've done and we don't like it. Right. Like it freaks. Oh, no, that we have a racist machine. Well, maybe we have a racist community, you know, or a, a, a sexually biased uh, area of the country, you know. And of course, if you feed data from that area into a computer and it's supposed to emulate the results, that's what you're going to get, right? Exactly. And that's a good way to look at it. It's about the bias that we put into the machine. Right. And then trying to like, and that's where the ethics come in, right? Is how do we correct for that? And how do we make sure that we try to, 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 to eliminate that in the machine, even though we can't do it in our own heads? Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of nuts. So as, as you've seen and, and as you look forward, what do you think the primary impacts, like right now, your company, Chisel.ai, is using um, AI to help agencies do policy checking. But that's, that to me is like the, the first step, right? That's the tiptoe in. So as you look at the roadmap for AI, not just with Chisel, but overall, what do you think agencies and carriers and folks are going to be leveraging this for? What are the buckets that you see the impact being the greatest in? Yeah, there's a couple um, that I'm a huge fan of. I mean, one of the biggest things that uh, a lot of insurance companies, especially here on, uh, in Ontario, Canada, struggle with is fraud 
primarily auto fraud. So I know of a company working in this space uh, that has amazing technology that can reduce fraud by up to 90%. What often people will do is they will resubmit the same pictures on a claim two years later and say they've been in another accident and pocket the insurance check. So they, for example, have the ability to make sure that the pictures are uniquely fingerprinted and you'll never pay out the same claim twice from the same picture. It also makes sure that uh, the pictures are not Photoshopped, which again is possible to make it look like you've been in an accident when you haven't really. And so I think fraud is going to be huge. I think it'll be great because it'll drive down premiums for, for the policyholders because, as you know, premiums are based on the losses and because um, at least the way auto works is it's by state in, in Canada, it's by province. And in fact, by the postal code or the zip code that you live in, when you drive down fraud, you can, prim you can drive down premiums. And so I think fraud prevention will really benefit the consumer. And I personally am very excited about that. Um, some of the other places that I've seen it is uh, a lot of underwriting automation uh, you know, you have tools out there that can help you identify earthquake zones and flood zones and a lot of really, really cool property information. Um, and then there's a lot of companies that I actually see in the home, smart home space. So, for example, uh, installing something on your water meter at the main line that can identify when you have a burst pipe to prevent flooding in your basement and also reduce you know, the damages that are going to happen. Uh, it also does a bunch of cool things like helps you manage and conserve water so that, you know, at night your leaky faucet isn't dripping. You can control things like that. Um, I've seen smart fire alarms that rather than just beeping actually come with a nozzle that can be actuated in almost a 180 degree circle and can shoot basically anti-fire uh, chemical mixture right at the fire. And so not only will it beep, but it'll try to put out the fire, which I think is cool. And so a lot of this technology is really, I think, consumer focused. One of the things that I hear um, from a lot of our, our partners, primarily on the direct underwriter side and in general, the underwriting side is that they want to help and build tools to help make the consumer smarter. Because the best thing that can ever happen for both parties is for a claim to never get filed right? Especially in a 20-year history of a policy. So if you can help the consumer be smarter, protect themselves and have tools using AI or even without AI, it's a win for the policy holder. It's a win for the underwriter and really the agency because if the customer has a good experience, they'll keep coming back. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think that we're, gonna, we're going through a, a transformation in insurance where it is today insurance's primary driving thing is to make somebody financially whole, a corporation financially whole after they take a loss. But as we see more and more of these tools, sensors, all those different types of AI that you were talking about being combined into specific use cases, you're really getting into loss mitigation, right? You're, you're in, in reduction. You're starting to help individuals and corporations remove, the, reduce the, the, the risk of the incident occurring. I mean, and that's, I think that AI plays an extremely large role in that um, where nothing else really can. I mean, you couldn't have like a little person in there all the time looking at your stuff. It, again, it's a scale problem. Right. That's yeah. That would be the perfect solution if you could have like a little butler at your house to watch out for your water pipes and all that stuff. And this kind of technology kind of gives you that ability 
if you trust it, if you put your faith into it. Um, are, are you a, are you scared of AI? Are there are there things that that freak you out about it? Is can pri data privacy something that makes you nervous? Is the way other companies use it? Yeah, I mean, for sure, huge concern. I'm sure you know most people have either seen or heard of a TV show called Dark Mirror on Netflix, mm -hmm. which just shows you, you know, all of the different ways this can go wrong. Um, you know, I think we definitely need strong legislation regarding data privacy and, and the ways that we can use AI to especially sell to people. Um, you know, that's definitely a concern. I think the biggest concern though that I have, um, and this doesn't really tie into AI, but sort of does, is China's currently implementing a, a national face, whatever, identification program. Right. And uh, they're also implementing what they call like a, a citizenship passport. And so there have been, I don't know the exact count, but it's several hundred thousand people who are now forbidden from traveling. They can no longer take trains. They can no longer take airplanes. And that to me is the scariest thing. Basically, they're landlocked. They're unable to travel. And that, that decision, although I'm not sure whether it was made purely by AI or not, um, it was definitely based on, a, on data. And AI in some way, if I had to make a guess, helped shape it. So I think at the end of the day, it's, it's just like, for example, nuclear physics. You can use it for good to generate great electricity, very, very clean, very, very efficient, very, very low risk or you can use it to create weapons of mass destruction. And so I think AI is just a tool and how we use it will really depend on the people. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think that anybody, I mean, we've seen it be used for, for, for bad things, you know, but we've also seen it be used for great things. I mean, anything that helps us survive um, cancer, or we use it in accidents now a lot, right? Where they can try to determine like pockets of air and uh, where people might be so they can search more effectively. I mean, th this stuff is becoming uh, ubiquitous, but it's funny because it's not, I, there was a, a big time where everybody talked about AI. And then I think that like the purveyors and the people that were creating it were getting pushback from it. And so we've really seen like a decline of publications and decline of press of it. But I think that in the weeds, it, it is, it's, it's happening, you know, and in, in the larger organizations, these guys are playing with this stuff, right? They're testing this out to fix the scale issue, right? I mean, that, that's, that's the biggest thing, right? Exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm confident that it will provide more good than bad, but you know, I've seen some crazy things, just some ideas thrown out there. For example, like somebody in theory could write a piece of malicious code that has an AI in it and just keeps rewriting itself. And so it becomes, you know, it's sort of like a virus, like a real virus or bacteria that keeps mutating mm -hmm. and could really, really mess up some systems. You know, we had the WannaCry hack. I was just reading, it costs companies $3.4 billion. And I'm sure that in some way that was felt in the insurance industry through, you know, either insurance of, of DNO, ENO, cyber warfare, cyber data protection, et cetera, uh, recovery, business disruption, business operations insurance. Um, and I'm sure the insurance industry paid for a chunk of that 3.4 billion. Now imagine that coupled with an AI super bug that basically keeps mutating. And that's a terrible uh, situation. Um, and I'm sure that will happen, but I think we got to look at the big picture at the number of lives that are going to be saved. I know one company um, who they have a technology that can 
test uh, drugs, uh, drug synthesis on proteins. Um, and I don't remember the exact statistics, but something like it costs today over a billion dollars to bring a drug to market. And they've been able to bring down that cost like hundreds of thousands of times uh, simply through simulation. And so I'm very excited for that because it's just going to really change the face of healthcare. Um, and so I would say the risks outweigh the benefits. The benefits outweigh the risks big time, right? Sorry. Yes. Yes. That is what I meant. Yeah. The best, the best, I mean, I've read a couple books on it, but the one that I felt was the, the most instructive was something called life 3.0. Um, if you guys are listening and, and you're interested, uh, this guy puts it in a really cool way. He runs a bunch of different scenarios about, um, how it may impact the world and, and kind of what Ron was saying, how, in some some worst case scenarios, you could have like competing AIs, but in best case scenarios, you could have collaborative AIs. And so, um, Life 3.0. Ron, thank you so much for your time today, man. It's awesome. Listeners, I hope you guys came away with a better understanding of artificial intelligence, where it's headed, how it's going to impact our industry, and what you guys should be looking for. Thank you for listening to the Digital Broker. Big shout out to Indio, www.useindio.com. They're helping educate the agencies and and trying to make sure that we're relevant in today's changing world. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. This podcast is brought to you by Indio Technologies. Indio simplifies the insurance application process for brokers and their clients. When using Indio, the process is fast, easy, and E&O free saving your agency time and money. You can learn more about Indio and register for a one-on-one demo at www.useindio.com slash podcast. That's www.useindio.com slash podcast.